Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We are back for another deep dive into something in pop culture that absolutely no one cared about in the first place. But before we get into that, as always, of course, we have to start with our opening minutes. And at the top of the docket for our opening minutes this week... (laughs) is none other than Christopher Jamal Evans. His new movie, Lightyear, releases this week in theaters. I'm going to see it tomorrow. But the premiere was, I think, sometime last week, actually. But a lot of the press for the movie is happening this week. And he's just been in hiding for so long. So the fact that he's now come out, he's keeping this press tour very cash very cash those little chest hats just poking out every every shirt he wears just poking out one of my my internet friends jay soups got to interview him and i texted her and i said fantastic interview you are stronger than me because i would have simply collapsed into a puddle if i was doing the interview so she's a strong woman because me not so much but yeah i'm really excited to see to see Lightyear. also it's not just him who's in it kiki palmer love her so much and Taika Waititi they are both in this movie so I'm really excited to see it actually I feel like June's gonna be a big month for for Taika because we've got the Thor Love and Thunder premiere I think sometime next week and then Thor Love and Thunder officially comes out for wide release on in July like the first week of July like I said Marvel never too late never too late send your girl an email with a little with a little premiere invite if you feel so moved to do so but yeah i'm really excited for lightyear i've been hearing kind of like mixed reviews kind of going back and forth between like it's really good or like meh we don't really need it i just want you guys to know that i am a buzz lightyear star command apologist purist if you will so i'm going into this with very high expectations i am realizing now that i have taken an I've taken in a lot more Buzz Lightyear media than I ever thought that I did. Um, Because I've seen all the Toy Story movies. I have watched a lot of Buzz Lightyear Star Command. I am going to go see this movie. I think I am a really big fan of Buzz Lightyear and I never thought that I was. The more you know. So, very excited for Lightyear. Last week, we talked about Jurassic Park, and that was kind of in prep for Jurassic World Dominion. And I actually went to go see Jurassic World Dominion 
the day after that podcast episode came out and I'd love to give just a tiny little review of the, of the film. So we're going to we're going to do this kind of compliment sandwich style. So we're going to do almost like a little POV. So POV, you guys are Jurassic World Dominion and I am a, a therapist, a film therapist. So I've, I've welcomed you into my practice and I say, hi, how are you? So happy to see you. Sit down, sit down. So movie came out fun. My compliment sandwich style. We're going to start off with good. Then we're going to get into the not so good. And we're going to end on a high note. Good baby dinosaurs. So cute. So cute. Love the baby dinosaurs. The OG three which are the characters of Alan Grant, Ellie Sattler, and Ian Malcolm, played by Neil, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum. Really, really good. Really, really good. I think they carry the movie for sure. For sure. We're going to go, you know, do a quick little pivot into the bad, though. Oh, The bad of the movie is just that the story didn't quite know what it wanted to be. And that's so hard to hear. I think yeah, we had a lot of great ideas, right? And when we have a lot of great ideas, that doesn't mean that we put all of our great ideas into one movie, right? We kind of figure out which idea is going to be the idea and then we kind of run with that. But in this movie, it kind of seemed like we wanted to do all of our good ideas and they didn't quite mesh together, right? Yeah, so that was a big issue with the with the film. It was a, it felt a bit overstuffed. And the problem is usually when a film is overstuffed, that means that it's overstuffed and giving you nothing all at the same time. And unfortunately, that is what happened with this film. The first half of it felt like what a lot of people have been saying. It felt like Jurassic Park and James Bond. So Jurassic James Bond. And I can't say that I quite signed up for Jurassic James Bond. I think the kind of 25 to 30 minute sequence that felt like a James Bond movie also felt like Jurassic Evan Bourne. Jurassic Bourne Ultimatum is what it felt like. And it could have easily been cut, I think. Probably about five minutes. That that sequence could have been about five minutes. I think I don't think it needed to be a 25 minute romp in a in an action movie. I think the issue is that the thing is, the film is is fun. If you like Jurassic World, I think you'll really enjoy this. But if you're a Jurassic Park fan, you're going to find some, not inconsistencies, but a bit of inconsistencies with the movie. Because the movie wants to be Jurassic Park. It really does. It wants to be Jurassic Park. It wants to have those emotional moments, those heartfelt moments, those moments of like suspense with the dinos. Rah. You know, it wants to have all those things. But it just, it falls a little flat with achieving that. And the only thing, and the, the problem is it just, it wanted to be too many things at once. I think the movie could have been a lot better if it, pared down the ideas that it had because it was kind of like three main plot lines happening at once and those plot lines didn't necessarily go well together at all I would think um they there was they kind of clunkily wove the, these plot lines together and they were just like oh, okay this is a movie and we're like oh okay this is a movie I guess but it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was the most successful at doing that. Yeah. As far as performances go, like I said, the OG3 were, were really good. 
the chemistry between Owen and Claire, I think, was a bit lackluster. It was a bit lack. It was it was a little bit lackluster, I would say. It uh, it wasn't it wasn't giving like this is your third movie. The chemistry is at an all time high. It kind of just felt like this is our last movie, so we're phoning it in. We're phoning it in a little bit, which you know, I get. You, if you're gonna get the check regardless, you might as well just you know do whatever. But I just felt like it was just moments where I was like, oh, okay, I, you guys are. This is your third movie together, and it's just not the chemistry is not where it needs to be um, for me personally. But you might think that it was it was fine, and you are more than welcome to 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 believe that. Overall, I think without giving too much away, I think the movie had the makings of being really good. It just was trying to do a lot of things. Like when you have the burden, and I get it, when you have the burden of being kind of the last shebang of the whole, you know, saga, you want to make sure that you're ending things on a high note. And I definitely think within the context of the film, it ended on a high note, but it just needed a little bit more than that. It needed a little more than that, I think. So, you know, that's the only thing. And ending on a high note, I I think that the the score was really good. Michael Giacchino did the score, obviously, so he killed it. And overall, I think it's a movie worth going to see if you like the dinos. The dinosaur CGI looked absolutely incredible. I went in a, a double feature, so it was Jurassic Park and Jurassic World Dominion. So getting to see the CGI from the first film and then seeing it in in this movie you really see how far the saga has come with cgi but even the cgi and puppetry done in the first movie still holds up it's absolutely insane how much it it holds up still and then you get a movie like this that has you know this high-tech technology and cgi and it's super hyper realistic and and everything it's super cool super cool but uh, yeah that's my little mini jurassic world dominion review overall i give it a solid like 5.5 i give it a solid 5.5 to 6 i think it was it was it was a movie and i think it is worth seeing but i would you lower your expectations going in. that's what i'm i'm gonna say moving on 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 twitter well right now because we are in kind of the emmy fyc season one of my favorite seasons in in entertainment where a lot of actors are coming out talking about their roles in tv shows that have come out in the last year or so and you know they're just you know being a little bit more upfront and personal um if you don't know fyc means for your consideration so a lot of tv shows are having events or screenings showing their kind of best episodes from their seasons and doing events that are kind of they're meant to kind of like you know schmooze with academy voters who are then going to hopefully nominate their show to be an emmy nominee and then hopefully go on to again vote for their show to win an emmy in september so a lot of that involves the Hollywood Reporter. They every year do these like comedian, like comedy actors roundtables, drama actors roundtables, and then they do actors on actors. So they do like a series of, they pick two actors and they basically just have the actors talk to each other. So sometimes it's actors that know each other very well. Like there was the probably the biggest one from this season was Zendaya and Andrew Garfield. I think Zendaya obviously was kind of representing Euphoria and Andrew Garfield might have been talking about 
that FX show that I am completely blanking on. That man has done so much this this uh this television season, so it's absolutely insane. But usually like it's not always TV actors, but it generally kind of like tends to coincide with the Emmy FYC season. So Je- uh, Jennifer Aniston and Sebastian Stan were paired up to do a uh, actors on actors which I thought was very interesting pair I think I didn't watch the the entire interview I just watched a little snippet that I'm about to talk about but Aniston kind of went on a little bit of a not a rant but she was just you know she was saying her piece which rightfully so she was talking about how this is I'm trying to find the official the official quote but during the interview she says quote I feel lucky that we and we as in I think the the cast of friends because they were talking about friends up to that point she says I feel like we got a taste of the industry before it became what it is which is different more streaming services more people you're famous from TikTok Instagram YouTube and it's almost like it's diluting our actor's job um and a lot of people rightfully so I think agreed with her I understand the urge because you see a lot of the you see a lot a certain breed of influencer who seems to just get like deals kind of out of nowhere and you're just kind of like okay I didn't know you could act that well but so glad that you signed a six movie deal that's so fun but I think one kind of crucial part that was missing from that conversation that I know that she's not taking into account at all. She, I mean, Jennifer Aniston, I think she's not taking into account that the digital space, which she's kind of referring to, that is kind of diluting an actor's job has allowed for many people, especially many people that look like me to have the opportunity to break into the industry because otherwise we would have been gatekept out of it. And it kind of feels like she's just saying like, oh, Hollywood is not gatekeeping like it used to. And even then that's still not true because Hollywood is still comprised heavily of nepotism babies. Basically nepotism babies are people who have famous relatives or famous parents who were able to kind of get them into the industry. Doesn't take away from their talent necessarily, but it does help quite a bit and gives them a pretty big leg up over people who are not nepotism babies, obviously. And so I tweeted, I was just like, for no particular reason, I'd love for there to be an actors on actors interview with Quinta Brunson and Issa Rae because famously they both got their starts in the digital space. Quinta, who obviously I feel like a lot of people know her name now, she is the showrunner creator of Abbott Elementary, which is a phenomenal comedy. If you have not seen it, it is so, so, so good. And I am hoping that it cleans up at the Emmys at the very least I hope it gets a nomination even if it doesn't win but it's so well done it is like it really has revived kind of the workplace comedy the network comedy for the better and it's I think outperformed like Modern Family so like Modern Family used to be ABC's like big comedy and now it's it's Abbott Elementary that's their kind of like flagship comedy now which is insane because Abbott Elementary only has one season so that's how you know that it's a pretty 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 good show 
But Quinta got her start on on BuzzFeed. Like BuzzFeed used to do a lot of, like BuzzFeed is still around and making content, obviously, but it used to be this like big content farm. And it like gave us so many people who are now doing so many different things in the industry. But Quinta is... I think unabashedly kind of the biggest star that has come out of the BuzzFeed kind of era like early 2010s making internet content and she kind of like you know became a meme for a second but then she definitely like she beat the meme allegations and she was on a black lady sketch show and then after that she got her own show and it's doing so well and I'm just so like in awe of her and her talent and then obviously Issa Rae she started with a web series Awkward Black Girl which turned into Insecure which just wrapped up in the past year it's fifth season and it was again in the 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 halls of television history as a phenomenal show so you have these two black women who otherwise might not have been able to get the opportunity to be the showrunners of their own show on two major networks via ABC and or platforms HBO for Issa Rae and to hear from you know Jennifer Anderson that like you know it dilutes like these people coming from these digital spaces into traditional media dilutes the job of an actor really just kind of is very ignorant of the fact that the digital space is giving people that don't look like her an opportunity same as her, which is very interesting to think about. I think also this ignores the fact that Jennifer Aniston herself is an epitism baby. Both of her parents were actors. So I think it's just very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Miss Miss Aniston, that, that, that perspective that you have, it's your opinion. I, you know, I don't have to agree with it, but it, it is, it is your opinion. But I think that that nuance is definitely very vital because many people, you know, even, you know, my, myself in a way, like the digital space has given me the chance to have these opportunities that otherwise I don't think I would have ever had. And it's because I've been able to carve out my own space and I'm following the footsteps of the Isas and Quintas of the world, you know, like they're, they're my role models. They are, they are, they are what I'm, you know, striving for, you know? So the fact that they've kind of charted and carved out this path of making it possible when otherwise it might not have been possible, I think is incredibly important. And that conversation kind of is a bit ignorant of, of that, but that's just, that's just my two cents. You know, is Jennifer Aniston going to listen to this? Probably not. But if she is just consider that Jen, hopefully just consider that. So uh, that brings us to our final thing. We celebrated its 40th anniversary this past weekend. E.T. is one of my favorite movies of all time. You wouldn't know that because whenever I talk about it on TikTok, that app doesn't want me to talk about it, which is fine, but it's okay. It's fine. But it celebrated its 40th anniversary. I, it's so weird to me because I feel like for once I have the high ground that horror fans usually have over me but when people are like oh my gosh et was so scary to me as a kid and i'm like yeah i get that like it scared me as a kid but then i watched it as an adult and it's actually a really good movie like maybe you should try it like how horror fans feel when they're all smug of like oh horror doesn't really scare me like that anymore that's how i feel with et i finally have the higher ground with these non-et believers but E.T., like I said, one of my favorite movies of all time. You guys know me. I'm a Spielberg girl. Love E.T. And so it celebrated its 40th anniversary, which 40 years, it's, that's a long time. That's a long time for a movie. But absolutely, yeah. Love it. E.T. 
And moving into the topic of our, our, our episode today, which is the another anniversary that happened this week, which was the 20th anniversary of the live action Scooby-Doo movie, which I definitely did talk about in my last episode. And I kind of went on and fangirled about that. But we're talking about it again in full today because we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into it, talk about the movie and how kind of unhinged it is, but unhinged in a way that I absolutely adore, you know? Um, so that's what we're that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to talk about today. This movie is, is obviously one of my absolute like favorite movies, and it's a favorite of a lot of people now. It wasn't back then. But we're going to take a deep dive into how this movie that has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes kind of became a pop culture gem. So if that sounds good to you. Let's get started. So if anyone doesn't remember this absolutely crucial piece of pop culture, let me give you a quick rundown of Scooby-Doo 2002. The film was released in June of 2002 and was yet another edition of the kind of live action adaptations of a Hanna-Barbera property. So the first of which were the live action Flintstones movies from like the early 90s that had um, John Goodman and Rosie O'Donnell. And the first one had Halle Berry looking absolutely stunning and hot and sexy in that like cheetah print like bikini thing hot okay anyways <laughs> the first of which was those movies which are also they are good the first one is which I went back and watched it a couple of months ago and it's actually a pretty good movie I really enjoy it for the same reasons that I enjoy Scooby-Doo so it stars Freddie Prince Jr. as Fred duh Sarah Michelle Gellar as Daphne Linda Cardellini as Velma and I kid you not one of the best instances of casting I've ever seen in my entire life with Matthew Lillard as Shaggy and after this movie Matthew Lillard did so well as Shaggy that he basically went on to play Shaggy in most mostly like every iteration of Scooby-Doo which are so many like the TV shows the movies up until Scoob I think he didn't play Shaggy and Scoob Will Forte plays Shaggy and Scoob I don't know why they went with that but like basically Matthew Lillard like kind of got the blessing to be Casey Kasem's successor to like play Shaggy which was very that's a big deal but yeah he did so well playing Shaggy in this movie that it just kind of like became a thing that he did after this movie was released. Per IMDb, if you don't remember the story, kind of here's the a little bit of an overview of what the movie is about. So quote, the Mystery Inc. gang have gone their separate ways and have been apart for two years until they had until they receive an invitation to Spooky Island. Not knowing that the others have also been invited, they show up and discover an amusement park that affects young visitors in very strange ways. Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby soon realize that they cannot solve this mystery without help from each other. So it's a very simple story. It's nothing too crazy beyond that. And you may be thinking, okay, that sounds interesting. A haunted amusement park. Cool. Just sounds like a plot line from the show. And you would be correct in that. It. One of the things that I think the film does so well 
is that it is not trying to be smarter than the TV show, which I remind you is a TV show about a group of basically teenagers slash 20 somethings who solve mysteries with a dog. So it's not trying to be smarter than that premise, which I think is what makes it very, very good. It knows exactly what type of movie it is. It's not trying to be anything more than that. This movie, by all accounts, I think was not great from like a a filmmaking aspect. Like you can definitely see kind of the like frayed edges of the film. There's some CGI work that is probably less than what we would consider to be good in this current day and age. But that does not mean that it wasn't enjoyable. Let me tell you something. This movie, I remember the first time that I watched this movie was back in 2002. I remember I had it on VHS and I wore that bad boy out. Oh my gosh. At my grandma's house every summer, every summer my cousins and I would go and we would stay with our grandma. And I remember watching that movie so many times with VHS, like you it's a commitment to watching it because you got to like watch it all the way through. And then when you get to the end of the tape, you got to rewind it. So it's at the beginning of the tape when you want to watch it again. Like that's a big commitment every time you want to watch it. And I, I wore it out. I wore it out. I love that movie. I think there was something about it that was just so fun. Like I liked that the characters looked like the cartoon characters, like the costume design of this movie is so, so good especially with Daphne just the like the purple and just how she was able to have like 16 different outfits in the same kind of shades of purple how she wore these like kind of lilac go-go boots wherever she went and everything it was just so good the the comedy of it is still legitimately like it holds up pretty well I watched it probably, I think last week after that podcast episode, that night I went and watched it and it still is a movie that makes me laugh. Like there are some parts that are legitimately like really funny in the movie. And I think it's mainly between Shaggy and Scooby, um, seeing this kind of like, you know, grown man go back and forth with a dog who is also his best friend. It's hilarious. That's always going to be funny, but also there's just some moments that are legitimately like kind of emotional I think the movie opens with the the gang kind of like solving a mystery like they always would they kind of like Shaggy and Scooby of course kind of mess it up it ends up working out in the end regardless it's a plan that's put together by Velma but when it comes down to revealing who the man in the mask was Fred takes credit Daphne feels like she's only kind of a damsel in distress so they're all kind of feeling the the kind of tropes that they were saddled with in the show and they're able to play it out in a very human way and that's what causes them to like break up for two years um and they like Velma she's just like you guys don't don't care about me and you only kind of take my my ideas for the plans but I never get any type of credit and you know Fred has to contend with that Daphne feels like she's you know, like I said, like a damsel in distress, she doesn't feel like she's a active member of the group. She's only there to be captured and everything. And then Shaggy and Scooby, they feel like screw ups because they always like kind of have the plan go off course in a way, but it always works out in the end. But that feeling is still like very human, a feeling like, you know, you always screw something up. So it way like it starts out with that and you're like, oh, okay, this is a little bit 
more than I thought that this Scooby-Doo movie was going to give me, but I'm not mad at it. The movie, I think, in a lot of ways was able to balance a lot of different emotions while also being very kind of campy and just fun. And I can see, I can understand why people didn't like it when it first came out. Like I can understand if you're thinking that this adaptation is going to be, I don't know, more serious than it was, then your, your expectations might be a little bit, uh, like they, they might not be met with that, but I don't know. I quite enjoyed it and I thought it was really, really good. The whole idea of like Spooky Island was so fun and I think it technically does exist. Spooky Island does kind of exist. It's at Warner Brothers Movie World in Australia. That's like a, a, a theme park in Australia. I'm not really sure where, but it's like Warner Brothers Movie World and I think they opened with a, a like like they open the park with the idea of like having spooky island and there is a scooby-doo ride there i don't know if they still have it there but i would absolutely love to go it's in oxenford oxenford queensland australia and it opened in 1991 so it didn't open with the movie but they definitely do have a scooby-doo ride there so i would very much like to go to I would I would go to Australia just to ride that ride. It's a coaster. It's like a coaster theme to the ride that's in the movie, which is super cool. Okay, this is like a, a slight theme park nerd tangent, but I thought I would talk about that. But overall, I think the movie is just a lot of fun. And that is what that is one of the reasons why I love it so much because it is unabashedly fun. It's not trying to be anything more than a good time with four adults and a dog and I love it for that reason also it's a movie that is nothing but scrappy slander and anyone else who doesn't like that little annoying dog you're gonna get some really good vindication from this movie because that dog is so annoying and I am so glad that they spend the whole movie basically trashing him because that is that's what's that's what scrappy deserves I think at this point but I digress. This is not a scrappy hate podcast, but it could be because I do not like that dog. <laughs> Anyways, so you've heard kind of a somewhat review of this movie from me. And so you may be wondering, okay, who made this movie? Who could have possibly made this movie? Obviously, it was made by Warner Brothers, but also buckle up. It was directed by Raja Cos- Gosnell. Gosnell, Gosnell, I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. And it was written, get ready, it was written by none other than Jim, James Gunn. James Gunn, aka Mr. Peacemaker Suicide Squad himself, wrote this movie. I don't think he wrote Suicide Squad. Maybe, maybe he did. I'm actually not sure. <laughs> I think I just said that, but I'm not. Yes, he did. He wrote the the new one, but also Peacemaker. So, <laughs> but yes, James Gunn wrote this movie. And the minute that you know that you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's fun in a James Gunn, like Guardians of the Galaxy, Suicide Squad type of way. And he originally intended for this movie to be a lot different. So development began for the film in the early 90s, actually. So about 10 years before the movie even came out. And it went through multiple scripts and that had a lot more overt 
references to like drug use and sexual themes than the actual movie has like they kind of reference that shaggy is like a stoner in kind of like a visual gag but it turns out that he's just like cooking on a grill like they show like an outside shot of the mystery machine and there's like smoke coming out from the top and you can hear shaggy like saying like like far out dude and then they like go inside the van and they're just like cooking so that's definitely a reference to shaggy's alleged use of the devil's lettuce also his love interest played by ayla fisher is named mary jane literally so you know it's real on the nose <laughs> it's re- it's real on the nose with with the drug references but apparently there's supposed to be even more overt drug references and also sexual themes which makes sense how do they split up it's always shaggy and scooby obviously they go and mess something up velma who's actually committed to the cause of figuring out what's going on and then who who's left Daphne and Fred they're not looking for clues that's all I'm gonna say so I'm sure they were going to reference that for sure so which I'm sorry to deliver this news to you if you did not know during pride month of all of all months but I thought I was supposed to be a lesbian in the original script and they even Velma and Daphne even were supposed to share a kiss in a deleted scene and I've seen some of the deleted scenes from this movie and I can definitely tell that it was made off of a tone of a much different movie (laughs) but according to James Gunn the studio kind of continued to water down Velma's sexuality with every edit of the script and test screening and eventually they kind of just like blew off that entire little like subplot and they gave her a a love interest whose name we never get I think (laughs) And he kind of like, I see what they were trying to do with him, but it just doesn't work out because the first time that they are seen together is during like a little like projection show, I guess. Um, And then the next time we see them, he, Velma is at the bar and she's like studying the Damon Ritus, which is kind of like the MacGuffin of the movie. And he comes up to the bar and he's just like, oh, like, you know, like, what are you working on? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, are they, is it like assumed off screen that they're hanging out? Because it just seems like they just keep finding each other, but there's no chemistry here. Like, and mind you, the guy, like her love interest, very hot anyways, but like, they just never have like a constructive conversation to allude to them liking each other and then at the end like he finds her and like picks her up and swings her all around and it's just like oh my gosh Velma thank you for saving me and I'm like do you Velma do you even know his name because I don't think we know his name so do you know his name maybe she knows his name but I don't know I, I don't know so yeah she was supposed to be a sapphic in the original thing and that got cut and she was given this love interest that she doesn't seem all that interested in but i digress the cast also was supposed to be completely different so we also speaking of jennifer anderson she was up for the role of daphne in in addition to jennifer love hewitt which i could see jennifer love hewitt as daphne i could see that there's something about that it's the I know what you did last summer connection that I'm like I could see that there's something there for sure um 
Carla Gugino and Christina Ricci were up for Velma. And this doesn't seem all that shocking for the time period that this group was kind of circulating, but Jim Carrey was up for Shaggy. And Jim actually signed on to play the role in 1996, but he had to leave the project due to a lot of production delays. Like they had been trying to make this movie for a very long time and it just never quite got off the ground. Um... But I would say absolutely Matthew Lillard was the most worthy replacement for that for for that role. Absolutely. And I could see Jim Carrey doing it. But I think Shaggy Shaggy's a better fit or Shaggy Matthew Lillard is a better fit. I think overall we've done a little bit of a deep dive in, into the movie. Overall, I think the, the film is phenomenal. I don't know what else to say. It's such a fun movie. It's a movie that I have rewatched so many times in my life. The rewatchability of the movie is so good. It goes by quick, too. It's a very quick movie. Also, before we wrap up this episode, the music of this film. So, so 2002. So 2002. We've got, oh my gosh, let me look at the soundtrack. The title song. Well, the title song to me, I don't think it's the title song of the actual movie, but the title song to me, Land of a Million Drums by Outcast, by Outcast. Yeah, yeah, that was in this movie. It's played for like five seconds in the movie, but it is so good. So good. Oh my gosh. But like I said, very 2002 soundtrack. I'm going to read you the, the list here. So we have Shaggy, Where Are You? sung by not other than Shaggy, the artist, Land of a Million Drums by Outkast, Killer Mike, and Sleepy Brown, Little, Rom- Little Romeo's Bee House, which is Little Romeo and Master P, Thinking About You with Solange and Murphy Lee, Words to Me by Sugar Ray, and Sugar Ray is actually in the movie. <laughs> they have a brief cameo in the movie, Freaks Come Out at Night by Uncle Cracker and Buster Rhymes, Things Go Bump in the Night by All Stars, Whenever You Feel Like It by Kali Minogue, It's a Mystery by Lil T and One Track Mike, Scooby, Scooby D by the Baja Men, Man with the Hex by the Atomic Fireballs, Grow Up by Simple Plan, Scooby Doo Where Are You by MXPX, and Mystery Inc. by David Newman. That is, that's the soundtrack for, for Scooby Doo. <laughs> 2002 that is a very 2002 that is a very 2002 soundtrack oh my gosh but it's so good like it really is so good like i they a couple of these songs like actually appear in the in the movie obviously so simple that simple plan song grow up the i don't want to be told to grow up so good oh my gosh land with million drums like i said is played for five seconds and then they don't play it anymore things go bump in the night a banger a banger even sugar ray words to me i will say i do like sugar ray i know people like constantly like joke about them but i do like sugar ray like if you put on fly i'm gonna have a good time that's all i'm gonna say but anyways so obviously scooby-doo 2002 it did get a sequel which is called Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, which is also it, it, it is a good movie it definitely seems like they wanted it to be a little not more serious but they were taking themselves a little more seriously in scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed but it still is like kind of like campy and fun but you can definitely tell that they're like oh we should try and make this a little bit more like scooby-doo ish 
in like a more serious like mystery type of way but I I still it's still very like it's got more monsters and like the monsters they oscillate between being like CGI and like actual like suited monsters and everything it's still a fun time but I hold up that the first one is still the best one but that's just me so anyways to wrap up uh watch this movie if you have not seen it in a while I think you will enjoy it that is just that's my personal opinion I think it it can be enjoyed by by many a person still so I hope you enjoyed today's episode Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you've made it to the end of this episode, congratulations. You're an Afternooner now. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at the Afternoon Special on TikTok or over on Instagram. Or you can find me on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. You can also find me on YouTube. I know I've been saying for the past like two to three weeks that like, oh, the video will be up, blah, blah, blah. It will be up this Friday. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you it will be up this Friday. It is done. It is uploading. It just has to go through like a couple little like checks and balances and whatnot, but it will be up. It will be up this Friday. I promise you this. I know I have been promising this video for so long but it's finally done so it will be up this friday <laughs> so you can check me out over on youtube and it's just the afternoon special over there and if you're thinking bobby i'm not gonna remember all that like i have land of a million drums like in my head and i need to go listen to that bestie i get it i get it i put all of that in the description box just for you so when you go listen to that song you come back here you listen to this episode and you go into the description and all those links will be there right there for you Obviously, when I'm doing these episodes, I'm listening to a lot of things while I'm doing my little researching and tapping away on my computer. So this week's episode was powered by none other than the Scooby-Doo soundtrack. Specifically, of course, Land of a Million Drums. I'm from Atlanta. What can you say? I have to I have to talk about Outcasts. Come on, come on. I have to talk about Outcasts because I'm from Atlanta. But um yeah, that soundtrack is a banger. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> a really good soundtrack and highly recommend it if you need some good work music and want to feel like you're working in 2002 for some reason hmm. i don't know it's your prerogative but i hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you will join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive later days friends hi just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.